Dr. Pegnell, thank you so much for, for hanging out and sharing a drink and a conversation with me today. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think that I cannot go without talking about Augustine with you with you being here. Yeah. I think that's that would be that's a remiss fair. if that's I fair, if I did. Yeah. Uh, one of the talks that we give sometimes on friendship is I use Augustine as a as a model in friendship and the importance mm-hmm. of friendship. Mm-hmm. Cuz you know in confessions he comes out and he's he's with his buddies when he's young yes. they're, and they're at the pear tree and he yeah. steals that pear just yeah. for the sake of really stealing it, yeah. right? Exactly. Uh, and 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 he's kind of like because everybody around him is doing it, mm-hmm. he feels compelled to do it. Yeah. And then years later, he gets, well, he gets surrounded by Manichaeus and Dantes and all these other people that that pull him into different different things. But then he gets uh, introduced to Saint Ambrose. Yeah. And then it pulls him that way. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe talk about like just the like the importance of friendship with with Augustine, like how those trials mm-hmm. and and how friendship played such a pivotal role in his in his life. It's interesting because you know I think you know we we tend to think that um, uh, we're kind of sovereign in our choosings, like that we we we're gonna we're I mean it's true on one level that every one of our choices we're responsible for, but Augustine in the Confessions. Uh, is very, very attentive to uh, what he calls the flow of sympathy. It's a really, really important idea. Like uh, when people start nodding with mm-hmm. one another, that's the flow of sympathy. Mm-hmm. Like you just nodded, I just not, you I just like, nodded oh, yeah. to me. Like that, Augustine calls that the flow of sympathy. Hmm. And he says we're made for that. We're okay. just made for the flow of sympathy. And that's that we love friendship. We want, we need friendships. Like, mm-hmm. we're made for uh, these friendships, and you know the the stealing of pears, the um, and then a little bit later he talks about the wreckers, um, this group of friends who 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 are doing wicked things, but they're doing it with a kind of fraternal camaraderie. Right. Uh, we've all seen that. We probably experienced I it exp- ourselves. I've experienced right? that before. You, yeah. You're you're doing something. You're doing something that on some level you know it's not right, but it's funny. Right. Or it's like, we're doing this together. Yeah, it's cruel to this person or whatever, but... But there's a fraternal aspect that we're all doing it together. But we're doing it for the flow of sympathy. We're doing... So we're acting. We're acting for a good end, actually. So, like, when he's stealing the pear, he doesn't need the pear. He doesn't want the pear. He doesn't even like pears particularly. He's, uh, he's not hungry. He's just like, I'm, what am I stealing the sin for? And you're right. He's, he is, I'm stealing the pear for just the sake of theft because he somehow loves, as he says, sin, that we love sin. Mm. But he says underneath, this is very Catholic, okay? The Protestant will say, yeah, that's right. We just love sin. Mm-hmm. The very Catholic thing that he says is, no, we do love sin when we're stealing the pear or whatever it is we're doing. Mm-hmm. But uh, the flow of sympathy is what we really love. We really love, what we really love is the friendship, right, mm-hmm. of the camaraderie. And this is what we're doing. We're stealing pears right now. Uh, and a very typical Augustinian move and a very Catholic move is to say what... The good that you're aiming at is the friendship, but it's the misuse 
of your love of that good. You've misused it, mm. and you've misused it, and it's turned in on itself, he says. The heart turned in on itself. So we're doing things. So it's good to love the friendships, but then to pay attention to is the flow of sympathy directing what it, what's the destination for the flow of sympathy? If the flow of sympathy in our friendship group is actually, you know, encouraging us to view porn or, you know, uh, valorize violent, you know, uh, or derogatory kind of treatments of the human person or whatever yeah, it is. Drink ourselves into oblivion. Drink ourselves, you know, get high or whatever. Like right. my friends are getting high, so I'm going to get high or whatever. Right. The flow of sympathy, he says, is it's important to watch where that's going. Where does that, f- you want the friendship, you want the flow of sympathy, but where is the flow of sympathy going? Mm. What's and, the end? And, and if, if the friendships are, are the, the friendship, that, the camaraderie that you want is good, but if the flow of sympathy is going down to the devil, it's a misuse of your friendship. Mm-hmm. So you want to enter into a kind of virtuous flow of sympathy Mm -hmm. so that you are at the Catholic friendship is one which is always attentive to, okay, where's the flow of sympathy going? Is it going down into sin and vice and viciousness or is, are the friendships somehow we can drink a gin and tonic and talk about God? Right. And if you think about, if you think about it in those terms, you're actually already thinking about worship. You're thinking about how your heart mm-hmm. is itself an altar in which you can be mm-hmm. making offerings which are vicious and which are going down to hell, like an altar in which demons can dance, or an, your heart for your friends can actually be holy, and your mm-hmm. friendships can be ordered to the worship of God. And, and that's what I think is deeply Augustinian and deeply Catholic, that the, that the redemptive view of, of friendship is that friendship, is, we're made for friends, and we need friends, mm-hmm. but we need to be attentive to the flow of sympathy. What's its end? What's it going to? And so we need these virtuous mm-hmm. friendships. You know, I think about my friendships with Patrick Deneen and Gladden Pappen, who were, uh, were speaking uh, with me uh, today here in Tulsa, and... Our friendships are just absolutely rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. We're doing all this kind of high political theory, political action, political apologetics as Catholics in the public sphere. But at, at bottom, we are friends uh, because we all share the same faith. We all, we all are rooted in our friendship with Christ because um, God has turned us from servants into friends. So uh, let me let me ask you this. Uh, part of friendship is kind of almost, uh, and I'm sure you guys have done this. Dave and I do this all, all the time. Is we kind of spar back and forth. Of course. Right. You know. So you challenge each other. You sharpen yeah. each other. Iron sharpens uh, iron. Iron sharpens iron. I can I can imagine Augustine and Ambrose as they were, you know, starting to become friends, or there were a relationship was starting to form. Now that's a different relationship. That was yes. That's right. So that the first thing, the first th- word out of. Augustine's mouth about Ambrose is father. He, huh. he I did he, not know that. He doesn't see Ambrose as a friend. He sees him as his father, which is very interesting because you know he's very critical of his own pagan father, who eventually right. converts on his deathbed. On his deathbed, but but uh, Augustine sees a kind of sanctified image of fatherhood in the bishop Ambrose, hmm. and sees him as sees himself as a son, 
And I think that's a di- that's that's where actually the flow of sympathy is becoming sanctified in relationship to how you think about the family uh, and the relationship. Yeah. Be, you know that that um, he does have sanctified friendships in the confessions too, but when he approaches and when he approaches Ambrose, it's as one who is looking at at the one who is a proper father, is a rightly ordered father. As a father uh. who who's laying all things before Christ on the altar, but it seems like uh, when he's trying to challenge him, I mean, there when Ambrose is trying to challenge Augustine, ch- challenge Augustine, yeah. uh, and, and then Augustine receives that, and mm-hmm. you know, it's in his heart, you know, the natural laws in his heart, and so he's realizing he's having to wrestle with himself on his his world views. Yeah, but he's still coming back to him, right? He's still coming back to Ambrose, like yeah. and listening to either his sermons or you know. Yeah. Whatever. Because he admires something in Ambrose, even before he comes to faith. There's something, there's something, b- even before the act of faith is alive in Augustine, he sees, he sees something of Ambrose's virtues, not only as a rhetorician, but especially as a rhetorician, because uh, Ambrose was a great rhetorician, and that's what Augustine was. He right. was an imperial rhetor at Milan. And and where where uh, Ambrose was was bishop, uh, Ambrose had previously been uh, uh, a an, an official of the Roman Empire. And uh, what Augustine admires is that this extraordinarily accomplished man, who had attained all these incredible virtues, including uh, all of these habits of reading. That, that Ambrose was learned, and he was he was learned in such a way that Ambrose could say, "Go read Plato, mm-hmm. and read these parts of Plato, and tell me what you think." And that that kind of appeal of the Catholic man to another man, you 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 admire you admire a certain sort of virility even before you see that as sanctified virility. Hmm. You know, and I, and I think I think there's something. You know, I'm just kind of riffing off the Catholic Man show that there's something about the Catholic Man that appeals to Augustine in Ambrose. Mm-hmm. That he sees he sees the image of a Catholic father mm-hmm. uh, who who has ordered all the gifts of the imperial disposition to law, to to rhetoric, mm-hmm. to learning, it, learning. And it was shocking to him, right? Because didn't he have this idea of uh, what a Catholic is just like by by faith alone, he they don't have reason. Is that true, or is that kind and of a caricature? And I think I think that's true. I think I think mostly he he thinks that there, there's a very super. Uh, Augustine confesses a kind of superficiality to his vision of Christianity, and I think this relates to Ambrose and and it relates to Catholic witness in the world. Um, that Ambrose, that his view of Christianity, his view of Catholicism, is that. When he turns to the authoritative texts of Scripture, he sees something that's not rhetorically beautiful. And that's the most important thing to him. Right. Is the, the power of speech. Right. Because um, on some level, if the speech isn't powerful, maybe it's not true. And hmm. So he doesn't see Scripture as beautiful. Hmm. But he, he goes every day to Malone. Why? To hear Ambrose preach on the Scriptures. Because Ambrose is awakening in him something he didn't see before, which is the beauty of the faith, the beauty of the scriptures. And something begins to kindle in Augustine because he hears this extremely impressive man of Romanitas. Hmm. 
powerful Roman governance uh-huh. uh, with an oration about the scriptures that awakens him to the beauty and therefore truth of the scriptures. And that, that attraction to a kind of Catholic virility that is, um, has depth and height and breadth and looks like, oh my gosh, maybe the Bible is true because it's beautiful. There's something very profound in Augustine's encounter with Ambrose that he, and he talks about this in, in his conversion too, that um, it's, it's the beauty of the mass, it's the clerical choirs he hears, it's the smells, because they used lots of incense. Right. It, it's all this sort of, like, this has to be true because uh, this is overwhelmingly gorgeous and coherent. Hmm. And and that the Catholic man, I think, you know, never should have some superficial love of aesthetics. But the aesthetics always have to somehow communicate the truths to which we're ordered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that's what Augustine experiences with Ambrose. He, he experiences a real father, the father that he wanted uh, in Patricius, Patrick. He didn't get in Patrick, but he got in Ambrose. He saw a real man in Ambrose. And I think that's true. For, you know, I think this is kind of the appeal of Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The appeal of Jordan Peterson is that, that men who, who didn't have good fathers or who didn't see something admirable in their fathers, mm-hmm. that's kind of tragic, right? Right. But, uh, but they see in Jordan Peterson, and, and he talks about this himself, uh, about how they see something admirable. Um, this is kind of the extraordinary to think about what, you know, if Jordan Peterson became Catholic that and that would become sanctified in a way, it would be, ex, you know, even more explosive. But I think that's the sort of thing that Augustine saw in Ambrose is not a Jordan Peterson, but a Catholic uh, virility that is sanctified and is somehow, is somehow evident of the truth of our faith. I, I totally agree. I think that's the reason why uh, also that Joe Rogan... Uh, you know, Jordan Peterson, these guys, the the secular uh, masculinity, yeah. masculinity guys uh, are, are so powerful because like men are desire like they want to know like what what is exactly what is this like, yeah. what what, what do we, I need to can we not be gay and how do we not be gay Basically, right like right because because everything about liberalism kind of just is like almost intrinsically gay <laughs> right he's <laughs> just like well is there are there like examples are there are there kind of witnesses to what it means to be a man and and to be friends and right. be friends in a way that isn't corrupted right like just totally messed up and right. disordered and those guys stand up and say, "Yeah, there totally is." Right, and, and and it's worth it's worth doing. It's worth doing. It's worth doing. But how much greater then? I mean, I kind of think of uh, Augustine sometimes says this about pagan virtues, like non-Catholics who hold something up, and then he'll say, you know, he'll admire like Cicero or something, and say, you know, these are you know great right. examples of virtue in these following ways, and and then how much more then should the Catholic man? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, be that witness in the world, right? Uh, that in a sense, the the non-Christian, the non-Catholic, uh, who's doing that should shame us, or as he would put it, spur us to provide um, a higher sanctified vision of of what it means to be, be a man. man. Yeah, what's something that as you've read through Augustine over? I'm sure you've read. I mean, 
countless, countless times. But something that has like drawn you towards St. Augustine that maybe the first few times you read through yeah. the confessions, it didn't stick out to you. Yeah. Uh, and that maybe as as you become, uh, you know, your father now, you have yeah. you have young ones, you have you have uh, yeah. a lot of different uh, ages of, of, of children. Yeah. But like now that in your state in life, yeah, that you've read through and you're like, ah, oh, I didn't catch this. Yeah. What's something? Well, I think something the, that sticks out. I think the fundamental thing for me. And this has been this has been this was critical in me becoming a Catholic because uh, I was I was an Augustinian before I was a Protestant Augustinian and I was a Catholic Augustinian and one of the, one of the key things for me and and this this has manifested itself in being a father and a husband um, is uh, the word confessions can also mean offering making an offering. Okay. You know, an offering, uh, an offering of of uh, making being hum- humble before God and accusing yourself of sin is a is a is a one kind of penance, yeah. penitential way of thinking about confession. Yeah, you're offering of your pride, right? But then he also confesses faith in God, which is another kind of offering. Okay. And and so one of the things that I I didn't always understand about Augustine was that how especially in confessions, I, I've got a book coming out next year called Fire on the Altar, which is very much rooted in Augustine's Confessions, and this idea of everything that we do is an offering, and it's either an offering to, like, the devil or something, yeah, right. or it's an offering to God, hmm. and that this is true in our friendships. There's no neutral. There's right. no neutral. Right. This is true in our family, so, like, if you've got to take the trash out, mm-hmm. you're like, mm. wife, your wife says... Come on, take the trash out. Right. Uh, no, that ha- to not take the trash out is a bad offering. To take the trash out is a good offering if you can offer it to God. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just like simple things, like okay, I don't change diapers very often, but if I did change diapers, <laughs> 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 the changing of the diaper would be a great, you know, offering. I could offer that to God. Now, and would this be a, a similar of like? Uh, living like having virtue in, versus having supernatural virtue, like being able to offer like this virtuous act to God. I think I think in a way um, that everything that I think we always want to make our actions ordered to an end. Uh, in in a sense, we we have a natural inclination to make a religious offering in uh, in relationship to our highest acts, and that uh, that this is just kind of irrepressible in us mm-hmm. like your family you want like we have these very inflated views of our family yeah, speaking of my family there's my and beautiful family right, right there and 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 you look at a beautiful family like that and you're like who do i thank who do i thank for that right and that just irrepressible kind of religious sense of where you know back to the flow of sympathy where does where does this love go and i think you know re Reading and rereading Augustine, I've I've come to see that's the heart of it for him is worship. Mm. Where does the flow of our loves go? Where does it all go? Mm. Where do we bring it all to? Mm. And finally, we bring it all to the altar of Jesus Christ. We bring it to the altar of the sacrament, uh, the altar of of Calvary. And when we can bring all of our love and make the flow of sympathy in our friendships and in our families we can bring that to the altar it's 
It's like a purification of our inner altar. We've got this inner altar, this irrepressible religiousness, this desire to make an offering, but it's not good enough. It's never good enough on its own. But when we unite the interior altar of our hearts, where all of that sympathy lies, and we unite that to the altar of Jesus Christ, the flow of sympathy is right. The love is right. The love is hitting its target, and it's raised up. And then your family's raised up. Your friendships are raised up. You can take all the intentions of your friends right to the altar. You can take all of your family's concerns Mm. as father to the altar. And St. Joseph can intercede for you, and our Blessed Mother can intercede for you. But ultimately, it's that sacrifice of Christ which is making the flow of sympathy right. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's awesome. So do you think... Okay, so... I've I have read uh, I, I am not a, 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 a Augustine scholar by any means. I've read some of his works. Uh, I about eight years ago I tried to read The City of God for mm-hmm. the first time right. by myself, and I realized I'm it's not like fifteen hundred pages. So right, and I realized like, I'm not I'm not there yet. You know, so I went back and I was like, I'm just gonna read the Confessions again. I like yeah, it. Like totally right. Is that is that is that where somebody should start if they have? Oh, read I Augustine? think so. I think I mean on, I've heard I've I've heard my friends like John Cavadini at Notre Dame says. You know, actually, the city of God is easier on some level because it's a lot of history. And uh, I think just just as a as a like teacher, I think confessions is a easier entree. Sure. Um, and and I think it it it's amenable to like an annual reading because confessions is meant to be like an examination of con- of your conscience, right? And so there's something there's there's something in the way I think about it because I'm I'm doing this book on on the confessions uh, that's really about the nature of the soul because we tend to think about the confessions as related related to the human soul so anthropology and we tend to think of the city of God even though it's a really complex text and it's related to a lot of things we tend to think of it as related to the city social and political life right and I think that's correct. I think that's a, those are correct kind of like basic level assumptions. And so you kind of have to think about how your soul is ordered before you have an, a sufficient amount of sophistication for thinking about how the society should be ordered, how politics should be ordered, how the city of God and heaven is ordered. Like all of these things are like on some level predicated on very basic experiential things that we that every single one, you don't need to kind of know your Aristotle or your Plato or anything to know that there's there's constantly this war inside yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. So there's guys who, who come up to me and they'll say, like, how do I start a men's group or how do I, uh, you know, how do I get more involved in, in, in my parish life or something like that? And the first thing I ask them, I say, like, how's your, how's your prayer life? Mm-hmm. Like, is your prayer li- is your spiritual life in order? Mm-hmm. And if they say, like, oh, I haven't started praying, it's like, okay, go... Uh, and, and dedicate one hour a week to, the, uh, to sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Yeah. And before you do anything else, just do that. Do you know that when they, when they study uh, priestly vocations, do you know what the number one reason why uh, seminarians say that they, they discover their priestly vocation? Is it adoration? Adoration. No kidding. The discovery of Eucharistic adoration uh, is by far the biggest... Uh, kind of rationale for discerning a priestly vocation but also of course lots of other things come out of you know sure uh you know you might you might you might uh discern other things but uh 
but yeah, Eucharistic adoration is um, a, a place in which you're you're reflecting upon that interior altar, really, in its relationship to Christ's sacrifice. Yeah, and and in a sense, you're you're getting all you're getting the essence of all of reality there. You, know, you talk about a Christian realism. If you want a real Christian realism, it's all got to flow from that. You want to know what reality is? You don't want to know how to order your soul according to reality. You want to know how to order your family, your friendships, your local community, your nation, your empire, whatever. It's got to begin on some sense, on some level, with this sense of how are you, how is, how is your interior disposition ordered to this exterior uh, reality that has been given to us uh, from heaven in Jesus Christ. Mm. But that, that's, that's the basis of realism. The basis of all realism is an encounter with God in Jesus Christ. That's right. I mean, what is Christian culture? It's essentially the mass. I mean, that's what John Sr. says. He says, like, I think that's right. I think that's right. That, that everything falls out of that. That that's like, you know, there's so much that's fake. Mm-hmm. Like, we're living in an incredibly fake, like, you know, Elon Musk talks about don't trust anything, right? That's the kind of skepticism in that that I don't like. Right. Like, don't trust the media. Like, it's true. Don't trust the media. <laughs> um, but, but, but it's like, but I have, uh, on some level, I'm like, I'm made for trust. Mm-hmm. I'm made for trust. So what do I trust? Right. Well, the one thing that you can absolutely trust is the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. You order yourself entirely to that and all the other things will come that then you'll then you'll everything you think about yourself about your friendships about your family about world order even is going to fall out of the real and the real has been revealed and um you know that's that's basically the idea of christendom Mm -hmm. and and we're suffering in america and all over the world for uh, the absence of that and, and so for men to stand out in the world as men who are radically oriented to the real, mm-hmm. it, makes a difference wh- it makes a difference at the office. It makes a difference wherever they're working. Yeah. That, that they're men who are tied to the real. And that in being tied to the real, this has then this knock-on effect that they're constantly attending to what's real and not what's fake. That's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, because uh, there's so many guys out there who – who yearn for the real. I mean, this totally. is why, I, I think this is why even this, this whole conference is so attractive, right? Because exactly. they, they're realizing People that... don't want fake. They don't want they fake. They want substance. I want, and uh, you've been fed, you know, a lot of guys have been fed. I, I was fed uh, just a bunch of lies, yeah. uh, you know, of like, here's what's going to make you successful. Here's what you're going to do. Right. Do the following things. And X, Y, and Z, and all of a sudden you're going to be so happy. But then you see the guys who actually follow that, and uh, they're not happy at all. Of course not. And then you realize you look at you look at the guys who are, you know, just being a family man who's work who works hard, who, who goes out and has a garden and raises raises their family mm-hmm. and raises kids and mm-hmm. uh, lives a Catholic life. Mm-hmm. And you look at them and like, yeah, of course they're they're struggling. Yeah, uh, the Catholic life is arduous. Like Catholic men's life is arduous. It's supposed to be. But it knows where to go. But it but it's oriented the right way. The flow of sympathy hits its target. Man, that's yeah. I totally, I love that, the flow of sympathy. I love that idea. Yeah, that's totally Augustine. I mean, that's actually the phrase he uses, at least in the Maria Bolding translation of the Confessions. It's terrific. 
I, that's a, I'm glad you asked. What? So is that the translation you like? Cause like that's the what sheen, I use. There's uh, yeah, there's different translations. That, uh, you know, Traddy's like the sheen. It's it's the sheen is great. It kind of has this great kind of fifties. Uh, you know, every every translation of the Confessions in in some ways both reflects the glory of Augustine's Latin and reflects the period in which it's written in English. Uh, and so the the sheen translation kind of reflects that kind of you know if you listen to it like you know, William F. Buckley and Crossfire or something. It has that kind of high New England style. That right. Uh, the I know Sheed, what you're about, The yeah. Sheed has that. Um, Maria Bolding is, is uh, she's a Benedictine sister, and so her translation kind of has the flavor of a, you know, religious sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a new translation that's out that I really like. Uh, it's actually, uh, I don't know when this podcast is coming, when this recording is coming out, but um, it should should be out very soon uh, by Anthony Esselin from Tan Books. They, they oh, just produced a brand new Anthony Esselin translation, which is really good, and I love it. Um, uh, his, so his, his deal on Dante too is awesome. Is awesome, awesome. His, awesome. Yeah. So, so my my normal recommendation is Maria Bolding, um, which is available from New City Press and also from Ignatius Press. Uh, it's a, a really great translation. The one thing I like is that uh, Sister Maria uh, is very attentive to the thing I have been most impressed with, which is the language of sacrifice, the hmm. language, the language of worship, the the religious nature of the confessions that the confessions are all about what are we offering what kind of offering we're making and her english is super attentive to that and so i like it and i use that in my teaching because that's so important to me but i i think anthony esselin's uh, translation does does a good job at that too so uh, i bargained already mo- more time than what i uh or bargained for i got more time than i bargained for but uh Tell me a little bit about your book that's coming out and where people can be looking to get it. Oh, um, yeah. It's probably a year out from now because okay. I'm just going through edits right now. It's um, it's called uh, Fire on the Altar. Okay. Because uh, that, you know, Fire on the Altar is where all of our, you know, our, our altars don't have fire yet. They, they need to be purified by a heavenly fire. And Christ is that heavenly fire. And so that's that's how I understand Augustine's anthropology is that that our hearts are restless until they rest in God and, and that our, our, our hearts need to be purified in this life and maybe in purgatory, but, um, but that, that the, the sacrament of the altar brings that purification. And that book should be out uh, on, on Augustine's anthropology, really. Uh, is, it's a book on, anthrop- on, on Augustine's anthropology. It should be out about this time, the spring of 2024, from Emmaus Books, which is Scott Hahn's great press yes yes awesome and you're so uh, between now and then if you're on twitter you can follow follow you on twitter cc pecknold uh, uh, at cc pecknold or yep. uh, i'm on facebook uh, you follow me on social media uh, or uh we also have a have a online magazine called uh, post liberal order right uh, which you can find through the substack site uh, uh with patrick Denine and and gladden pappen and adrian Bermule, and we're having fun there writing a lot of things that i hope uh your listeners will will also like. Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, it, it's been so much fun to host you here in the Diocese of Tulsa. So great and to have, be with and you. And have you here, and uh, I appreciate your time. What a fun conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much. Cheers. Yeah.